John chapter 3 is the, the place to go in the Bible, if you would. John chapter 3 and regeneration. What a fantastic topic. This is uh, um, really, really enjoyable uh, to talk about. And um, if you remember, we covered um, last week, and, and if you didn't see this one, I would highly recommend you going back and watching Greg and Scott and uh, Mark on, um, what'd you guys talk about? <laughs> I'd highly recommend it because it was really good. Effectual call. Yeah, effectual call. That's right, the gospel call. And um, what we're in kind of is a little bit of a series here. I was looking for the, uh, the page that has the whole, whole part there. There we go. On uh, page 281, um, the order of salvation. And it goes election, the gospel, call, which we've covered those two. And uh, today on regeneration, next week on conversion, then justification, adoption, sanctification. These are all meaty, great things to, uh, to talk about and think about. And so uh, uh, let me pray for us. And then, Papa, if you would read John 3, um, 1 to 8. And uh, we've asked Mark to really help us here with this. Uh, great, great passage in John 3 that really best summarizes regeneration, we think. Let me pray for us. Father, we're so grateful um, for this opportunity to come uh, and study your word. Uh, this is an uh, overwhelming work that you've done in us um, to regenerate us. Um, and, and it certainly wasn't any of our doing. We, uh, we understand that. We thank you that the Holy Spirit blew um, perfectly to regenerate our hearts and to give us um, a heart of flesh rather than the heart of stone that we had. And so, Lord, we are just so grateful um, as we come before you and as we um, uh, pray to you this morning and we pray this afternoon. We ask that, that you would give us great insights and wisdom and uh, especially in this passage would um, become even more um, pertinent and that we would uh, have a greater understanding of what you've done and how you've done it. So we commit this time to you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Papa John 3. Word of the Lord. Uh, Hello. There we go. The Word of the Lord, John chapter 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, so no one can do these signs unless, you, unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. 
the word of the Lord. Good. And Mark, uh, I've remembered, I guess probably for a decade, this has been one of your favorite texts, that, um, especially on this topic, probably longer than that. Could you help walk us through uh, this? Because it's, it's beautiful. Yes. If I, <clears throat> let me just do a quick detour, which has a purpose, and then come right back to this passage. So, hold your spot here, and let's go to Ezekiel 36 in your Old Testament. <clears throat> Ezekiel chapter 36. Greg was just, I mean, excuse me, Fred was just mentioning that just before we started, um, that this passage, Ezekiel 36 and 37, I am extremely persuaded, is in the background of what Jesus is teaching here. And the reasons for that are several. One reason is this. Jesus expects a man like Nicodemus to already know about the basic content of what Jesus is teaching in this chapter. Because he says, are you the teacher of Israel and do you not understand these things? What does that imply? It implies that if you're an Old Testament uh, teacher, you should already know the basics of the new birth that's coming in John 3. So, Nicodemus is perplexed by what Jesus is saying. And Jesus goes, wait, but you've read your Old Testament, right? Like, you're the teacher of Israel. You've got your Old Testament. You don't know about this new birth? So, Jesus, I think, is referring back to the Old Testament and the parallels with Ezekiel 36 and 37 and John 3 are numerous and significant. And so, let's, let's go ahead and read some of this now, and then we'll go back to John 3 in a moment. So, look with me here. This is a promise, although Ezekiel doesn't use the language of a new covenant like Jeremiah does, it is clearly the same reality that's being described here. And if you look at Ezekiel 36, uh, skip down with me to verse… I'm just going to read for a few verses here. So, look, we'll look at verse 20, uh, 24. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you." That's clearly a spiritual cleansing there, not a physical cleansing. Mm -hmm. Number 26, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. Now, look down with me at, ver at chapter 37. Familiar story, but I just want to read this real quick as well, the <coughs> valley of dry bones. Ezekiel 37, 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and He brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones, and He led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And He said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, Lord God, you know. Then He said to me, prophesy over these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath. Now, your translation may have a footnote around here. The word breath is also the word for spirit and also the word for wind. Same word, ruah, breath, wind, spirit. I will cause the breath, the wind, the spirit to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put, your, put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, Ezekiel says, there was a sound. And behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had covered, up, come upon them, 
and skin had covered them, but there was no breath, no spirit in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, same word, O breath of heaven, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open up your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit, breath, wind, same word, within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land, then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. Okay, that's a lot. So, what's in the background here? What's in, what's in the mind of the teacher here, or Jesus? You've got this. Israel has been in a constant state of rebellion, right, for centuries. God has sent them into exile, and God says, one day I'm going to restore you, I'm going to renew you, I'm going to bring you back. And when I do, what's going to happen? I am going to give you a new heart. I'm going to pour out my spirit on you. You know, when he says, give them a heart of flesh, we think of that as negative, right? Because in the New Testament, flesh is usually your sin nature. Yeah. But here it's not negative. This is positive. This means a heart that's not made of stone, that's unmovable, but a heart of flesh, a malleable heart, a heart that is sensitive to God, soft to God. That's what it, that's what it means. So it's positive here. And God says, I will wash you with clean water and you will be clean from your idolatry. So you, you get this? You're going to be renewed. What does the renewal look like? You're washed with clean water and you're cleansed from your idols. That's spiritual washing. And you get a new heart given to you by the Spirit. And in the very next chapter, what happens? This is described as God's wind or breath or Spirit blowing on you sovereignly from God, creating life where there was spiritual death. So you have a valley of dry bones. Think of us dead in trespasses and sins. God speaks His wind. His Spirit blows and brings new life and forms together the people of God. So you see these two chapters together. It's a pretty powerful picture of the new birth. The, the new birth. And so Jesus, I think, is referring back and to the that new text. covenant. Yes. Which is when the new birth takes place. Completely agree. And, and so, it's, and this is all God. See, that's why he's, that's why um, Jesus is referring back. He tells him that you're a teacher of the law. You should know these things. Because in Jeremiah 31 31, same thing. New covenant, new birth, new heart, uh, uh, spirit generated, regenerated heart. So, actually, this is a beautiful picture, uh, and it's all I. It's yeah. all. I will, I will, I will do, do this. I will do these. I will do these. Every, almost every verse. And then, then even though in, in 37, the dry bones, he tells Ezekiel to prophesy, but then he said, I. Right. And, right. Man, and he called Ezekiel son of man. I love that. I, the, the, well, would you just take that point that Fred mentions there. As Ezekiel is prophesying, which he's speaking God's word over the bones, it's not Ezekiel that's creating the new life. It is God's spirit through the word that's yes. creating the new life. And that applies perfectly to what we've been talking about the last few weeks, that we are responsible and accountable to speak the word of truth to others, but our words cannot make dead people come to life spiritually. We can't do that. But our words are essential in the whole process. God works through, the Spirit works through the gospel proclaimed to create new life. Ezekiel was powerless, but his words were used by God and empowered by God to create what only God could, could do in the end. Yeah, take us, Mark, now through, through John 3 here. Guys, the connection is great. Yes, let's flip back to, let's start at the very tail end of John 2. Uh, because Jesus has just started his ministry publicly here. He's done the, the, the water into wine at the wedding at Cana. 
and he's cleansed the temple in Jerusalem. So this is really the first time Jesus is going to be known in a public way in his ministry. He's brand new to the scene. We, we, we think of Jesus with a reputation, uh, whether people love him or hate him. We think of him with large crowds around him, but this is the very beginning when he is largely unknown outside of uh, his hometown region. So he's just cleansed the temple. And Jerusalem now is abuzz with, with what Jesus is doing, because you can't just do that. And so look at verse 23 of chapter 2 of John. Now when he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not, same word for believed here, did not entrust himself to them, because, they, because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man." This first paragraph, before we get to the actual new birth explicitly, is extremely important because it says there is a kind of faith in Jesus that does not save. And this needs to be heard as loudly and as clearly as possible. Uh, Jerry, what, what, what would you say about this? What, what is this faith that does not actually save, but is still called a kind of belief? I thought yeah. we're saved by faith, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> There's certainly, and maybe more in our area, in the Bible Belt, where I believe in Jesus. You know, even the demons do, James 2.19. Even the demons do in Shudder. And so this is definitely has to be something where the regeneration comes in and something that God has done, not just believing something about Jesus or not just knowing about him, but, uh, but truly being regenerated if we're using the word we're studying today. What, what would be some things, just, to, just to, for us to think about our own life here, what would be some things you could do with false yeah. faith, but not yet genuine saving Yeah, if you have a John MacArthur study Bible, there is a great list of these things where he goes through and says, church attendance, um, good works, all of these things that we sometimes can count on, maybe giving, being nice to people, giving money, all of these things where we might say, well, wait a second, I'm a believer because I grew up in a Christian home. All of those sort of things are, are no evidence. Uh, the true evidence of a regenerated heart are, are different than any of those things. They are a deep love for the Lord Jesus, a love for Scripture, uh, a, a continual prayer life. But these things certainly, if we just say, well, wait a second, I don't always have a love for Scripture, and that's, that's true of me. That we're not saying, Mark's often said, this isn't talking about perfection, but a change of direction. That's a MacArthur. real change. Is that MacArthur too? Yeah, real change of direction here. And so that, that always happens with regeneration. I like the way, um, I think Grudem did a good job of stressing that. Papa, let me ask you the same question. What, what are some, that's really helpful from Jerry. What, what are some things, I think this is really important, especially in the Bible Belt, that someone prays a prayer they get baptized, and they maybe join a church. They read the Bible occasionally. They may, be, they may love singing hymns or songs in church. They may love church community in some ways, but there hasn't actually been that real new birth yet. Uh, what are some things that a person can do before they're actually born again that might be deceptive or look like they, they've, they've come around, but they haven't yet become believers? Well, I think, I think being associated, uh, I, I don't want to piggyback on what you guys have already said, but being a part of a church, being a part of a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church, such as this one, where you've got the Word, you, you're, you're surrounded by the Word. Um, uh, you know, I'm, 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 picking on, <laughs> I'm picking on my favorite chemist, but, <laughs> but, but, but Caitlin 
was interested in Christianity. I mean, in spite of her background, she was interested in, in being around believers. And, and, and she had some examples in the laboratory with other people. <laughs> and, and, and this was, this was an important, I think, in, in her journey. I'm, I'm sorry if I've embarrassed you. But, but that type of thing can, I mean, you take even Nicodemus. I don't want to get too far ahead on that story. This was early in his ministry, mm-hmm. and Nicodemus comes by night because he's a, he's a Pharisee of Pharisees, uh, a member of the Sanhedrin. But yeah, he, was, he, he knew that this man was of God. Yeah. Jesus was of God. So he comes to him by night to ask him some questions. And we see the rest of John. There's some more appearances of Nicodemus and ultimately at the end yeah. at the grave. So being surrounded by believers, being uh, in the word, even though maybe that doesn't resonate with you, opens the door for God, to sp- his spirit, yes. the ruhah, yes. to speak to you. Yeah, I, I think that uh, I, I probably tell my story too often here, but um, it, it is very, very easy to be deceived about your own standing with the Lord. It's very easy to be deceived. So you, you can... In American evangelicalism, and there's all kinds of reasons why this has developed over the last couple of centuries, uh, when you deal with sort of the second great awakening and, and in this, well, just real quickly. So the first great awakening was more led by Jonathan Edwards, uh, George Whitfield, the Wesley brothers, and there was just tremendously wonderful things that happened. There was, a, there was always mixture of good and bad, but there was tremendous good that happened in the great awakening in the colonies, also in Europe during the same time, 1730s, 1740s, massive, massive revival of the Christian religion in this country. And you had people, uh, they called awakening because people were awakened to the fact that they were not saved. And they were awakened to the reality of eternal judgment and the weight of sin and the need for Christ. And they were awakened, like out of sleep in a burning house. Like you wake up and your house is on fire. That's what awakening means. You wake up, you go, this is incredibly urgent. I've got to get out of here. I've got to come to Christ. I've got to know Him. And people were saved by the thousands and tens of thousands, genuinely. And then you had people who were revived. A revival happens amongst people who are already Christians. Awakening is someone who's not yet a Christian. They're awakened to their state. A revival you can't revive what wasn't already there, right? A revival means you're already a Christian and you need a fresh awakening, a fresh re- re- renewing of your, of your heart. But that, that revival was in many ways wonderful. The second great awakening started having more of a manipulation effect that started coming in. You had people like Charles Finney. You had uh, other preachers who come later who started really trying to manipulate an immediate response in the moment, a, a quick response, walk an aisle, pray a prayer, get, you know, we do this quick, 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 quick response to the gospel. That way of doing evangelism didn't just become popular. It became the way of doing evangelism over the last 150 years. It's the way. And so even people uh, like Billy Graham, where this is the way it's done, where you, you come forward and you pray a prayer and you talk to someone and they give you some literature and they, you often get assurance right there on the spot from a pastor or a speaker that says, you are born again because you came forward and you prayed a prayer. And I am all for non-Christians asking the Lord to save them. 100% in agreement with that. But I don't like the idea of an almost magical incantation, one-time prayer. That if you just say the words, no matter how you live from now on, you're definitely a Christian. That is a lie that I think has deceived more people about their faith than perhaps anything else that exists. I mean, Jehovah's Witnesses have got nothing in terms of effect on this kind of false teaching. This is so widespread. So I think what we need is sinners should pray until they are changed not just pray once and think they're changed. You see the difference there? Not just a magical, say the magic words, okay, now no matter how you live from now on, you're in, you're, you're saved. No, no, no. Plead with the Lord 
to change you until desires in your heart begin to actually change. You know, I've given the illustration, if you're sick and you're asking the Lord to heal you, and we're not going to emphasize that as a big <laughs> emphasis of our church, but in the New Testament, if you're, if you're asking the Lord to, say, to heal you physically, you don't ask one time and then just keep living your life even if you've still got leprosy. You keep asking until what? The leprosy goes away. Right? And I would say sinners should plead with the Lord to save them until the leprosy of our heart starts to go away, until sin patterns start changing, values of our heart start changing, loves of our heart start changing, fears in our heart start changing. The, the deep commitments of our heart and life, the values that we care about, begin to change fundamentally. And at that point, yes, it's going to be accompanied by Bible reading, prayer, church attendance, love of believers, love of corporate singing, love of corporate gathering, uh, love of evangelism, love of sanctification, love of urging others to holiness, all those will be the fruits. But at the foundation, it's not something you're just putting on like Nicodemus externally. It's coming out of a heart transformation that's, that's taking place at the deepest part of who you are. And, and I think that if we could recover a biblical doctrine of conversion and new birth, I think it would awaken a lot of believers who are not genuinely believers. They believed in Jesus, but He did not entrust Himself to them. These are false converts at this point at the end of chapter 2. They said they believed in Jesus, but Nicodemus appears to be one of these people, and he does not yet truly believe in Jesus. I think before the story is over, Nicodemus is born again. He's one of the two people burying Jesus after his crucifixion, remember? It's Joseph of Arimathea, and John tells us Nicodemus showed up to help out bury Jesus. I think Nicodemus had become a genuine Christian by the end of the story. But here at the beginning, I don't think he's yet born again, but I think he would have said he had some kind of belief that God was with Jesus. Uh, Grudem makes a point that we have no role in our physical birth, and so we have no role in our in our spiritual birth either. However, just like you said, we can, we can connect ourselves with a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. We can be around other Christians. We can be involved in Bible and be exposed to the Word. And I think the most important element really is sin, the discussion of sin. Too many pulpits uh, omit the discussion of sin and the fact that we are sinners. And, and we need think, a Savior. And that, don't you think it goes with that is repentance then? And we're coming to that in a couple of weeks. Yes, but, sir. Uh, Repentance is big there. And, and in uh, 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Absolutely. So people that are unbelievers might feel bad about their sin, but they're just feeling bad because it's, it's not helping them. It's gonna, they're going to get caught. But godliness um, that leads to repentance always produces a hatred for sin and a deeper love for Jesus, turning away from sin toward Christ. And if you, you all remember in Acts, remember Simon the magician? Simon was all about signs and wonders. That's what he all lived for, the magical aspect. And, uh, and Simon professes faith in Christ after hearing the gospel from Philip. He even gets baptized. So that means he's, he's baptized. He's, he's, he's becoming part of that, that, that uh, group of believers. And after that, what happens is he says, can I pay you money so that you can give me the ability to put my hands on people and give the Spirit to them so they can speak in tongues and do these miraculous things? And Peter turns on him in a moment uh, and says, uh, you know, he says to him, uh, I'm going to butcher the quote, may your money perish with you, uh, which is 
perish there is referencing eternal judgment. May your money perish with you, for you thought you could purchase the Spirit of God with money. He says, you are in the bond of iniquity, in the, in the guile of deceit. And he basically says to him, listen, you don't yet know the Lord truly, although you have professed faith and been baptized. Simon, you, you're still committed to the same thing you were committed to before you prayed that prayer. You know, beforehand, you were you're the same thing. You're, you're committed to signs and wonders and magic. That's what you want to do. You want to do this kind of, have this powerful influence over people with that ability. And he says, you haven't yet truly uh, been born again. Can you help us, Mark, with the seven and eight in, in John three, with the spirit blowing? Yes. Like, it, because you touched on it, but this is a, that's a hard thing when you read through that. You kind of wonder, what is that really? I do kind of wonder, what is, what's he really saying there? Yes. Let, let's start in three one. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night, which I think means both physical night and spiritual darkness. I think it's symbolic and literal at the same time. He came by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Sounds positive in some sense. Verse 3, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, just pause there for a moment. Although that sounds positive, what Nicodemus said, you almost expect Jesus to say, you know, Nicodemus, I'm glad someone noticed that I'm, I'm a teacher sent from God. I'm glad someone can see that no one could do this unless God was with them. But Jesus has no compliment at all. In fact, he seems to just say, Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you cannot be saved. You will not enter the kingdom. And um, you, you see here, Nicodemus is thinking about this all, all incorrectly. Look, number one, what does he call Jesus? He doesn't say Savior. He says Rabbi, which is teacher. I mean, Nicodemus is, tell me what to do and I'll do it. Memorize this verse, go do this thing, teach the synagogue, whatever. I'll do it. I can do, I can do everything you want me to do in my flesh. He could, he could do it all without the Spirit's help. He, he would be doing. And he calls him teacher, rabbi, and he sees God's work in him, but he is looking for uh, advice, tips. And Jesus says, no, you've got to be born again. In other words, Nicodemus, all this incredible ability that you have, all these things you've accomplished in religion are absolutely worthless apart from the new birth. It, you, you, by your own efforts, no matter how, how hard you try, no matter how good of a Pharisee you are, if you're still working in the flesh in your old nature, it does not matter. Someone said it's like putting makeup on a corpse. You, you can try to beautify it as much as you want with external actions, but until there is a new life and new birth, it doesn't count for anything. It doesn't count for anything. And so the, the Lord Jesus is saying new birth is number one in the Christian life, and then you build the, the life of obedience flows from that. But Nicodemus hasn't even entered into the basics uh, of the Christian life yet. And he responds in verse four, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So Nicodemus is really following what Jesus is getting at here. Um, verse five. So the question is, how can you be born when you're old? Verse 5, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Does that sound like Ezekiel? I think it sounds like Ezekiel. Yeah, explain that a little bit, friend. Well, because it's, the water has always been symbolic of, of washing, cleansing. In fact, it's part of the the Jewish ritual, they had ceremonial baths for everything. So there was this idea that you needed a cleansing. I mean, Psalm 51, mm -hmm. uh, wash me and, and I'll be clean, you know, purge me with hyssop and I shall be whiter than snow and that type of thing. So there's this 
ceremonial cleansing translated into a heart cleansing. Mm-hmm. And that's what uh, Ezekiel and Jeremiah both refer to. And, and so it's, it's more than just a, a, a physical uh, cleaning. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a heart cleaning, a heart change. So if someone takes this to refer to baptism being necessary for salvation, so you're born of water and the Spirit, which you'll hear like a, a Church of Christ would say, that means you're born of ba- baptism and the Spirit together make you a Christian. You have to have water baptism. What would you say to that? I'm a, I would say talk to Mark about that <laughs> and, uh, and ask Mark there, would you help us? Fred, what would you say? <laughs> Mark's the pastor. I, oh, no. No. Yeah. I, a lot of people have tried to include baptism in this interpretation of the scripture. But it's, all, again, I go back to, to Ezekiel because that's where it's explained. And, and why would Jesus say to an Old Testament professor, are, are you not the teacher of Israel and you don't understand this? If Jesus is talking about something called Christian baptism that doesn't even exist yet, how would he expect an Old Testament scholar to know about Christian baptism if it doesn't yet exist. He's clearly talking about something in the Old Testament. And so, what does he point to? In context, Ezekiel 36 is the clear answer. The Spirit is given. A new heart is given. That's a new birth. And what is accompanying it? Spiritual water to cleanse you from your sins. We don't need a bath. You know, it's like First Peter. Not the, not the removal of dirt from the body. You need a cleansing. You need a new conscience before God. And so, he, he's referring here to a, a, a washing uh, from spiritual idolatry. Fred? I just want to re- rehearse this. Uh, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart, and I'll put a new spirit, the Ruhah, in you, within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone and give you that heart of flesh, which is malleable and teachable, like you said. Um, and uh, I will put my spirit in you. This is all these I things. It's God's going to do that, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. So it's God's taking this action. You need that washing, that cleansing, and more than that ceremonial bath. Bath doesn't cleanse you at all except from the dirt that's on your body. It doesn't cleanse, cleanse the heart. And that's baptism too. Certainly all the rest of the, the, the Word would tell us that that is a, that's an act. It's something we do in obedience, but that's certainly not what saves um, us or anybody. And just to continue here, further confirmation that Ezekiel is in mind is the next part of what Jesus says. So let me start back at verse 5 of John 3. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Now, here flesh is negative, not to be confusing. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. You may have a footnote in your Bible, says the Greek word for wind and spirit and breath are the same. It's the word pneuma in the New Testament, but it means the same thing, breath, wind, spirit. Verse 7, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind, the, the uh, pneuma, the, the wind, the spirit, the breath, same word, the, the wind, the spirit, blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes, so it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Okay, now Ezekiel, I think, is not a question anymore. Remember Ezekiel 37? The when the Spirit, the breath, blows on the dead and creates new life, right? 
Here, Jesus picking up on the flow of thought, Ezekiel 36, new birth, new heart, new life, washed in water and spirit. Very next chapter of Ezekiel, describing the same event, what does it happen? The wind, the breath, the spirit blows on the dead and creates new life. So I think Jesus is clearly thinking of the new covenant promise of Ezekiel. I mean, just clearly. I think it's just, this is very strong, I think. And he then uses that analogy here in verses 7 and 8. And only the Holy Spirit can do that. That's the, the great thing. Papa Ray mentioned that, but this is not something... That, uh, that we can do on our own. And, uh, and, but it is mysterious. I think we'd be wrong. To, and Grudem pointed out exactly what happens in regeneration is mysterious to us. So, so I don't think we want to be, um, I, we, we could come across arrogant if we said, oh yeah, we understand this completely. It's a mysterious thing. Well, a mysterious thing, here's an example. So say I'm teaching high school Bible and uh, it could be chapel, it could be a, just a room of students, happened, you know, a class, your class that visited in my room last year. So, I, was it eighth graders? Ninth. Ninth grade. I, I had his ninth graders for one day, just for fun. We mix it up sometimes, send our classes to each other, and who knows what's going to happen. So, I had your ninth graders. I didn't know them very well. I don't even know their names, really, I, hardly at all. So, I'm teaching them in my room, and, you know, a lot of, some of them are, seem sort of interested, some of them seem less interested, and then there's this one uh, young guy in the room I don't even, I won't say his name, but I don't even remember his name. I don't even know him well. So there's one young guy, a ninth grader, who is listening extra attentively. So I'm saying the same talk to everybody in the room. Some kids are bored by the time we're done. It's an hour and a half, I think, or whatever it was. And some kids are bored. Some kids are generally, like, halfway interested. And then this one kid is really engaged, super engaged. The, the, you know, I, I told my testimony and some other things. I, class dismissed. I send them out of my room. A couple of them say thank you, the rest of them don't, and they, just, they, go, they leave. So I don't expect them to say, oh, thank you. So this one kid, though, this, this young guy, is over here in the corner of my room, and he sort of slowly walks over to me, and I realize that he's got, like, tears in his eyes. Now, in high school Bible, tears in the eyes do not happen often, okay? That is a rare experience. So you got boredom, some people interested, some people kind of laughing, and some people kind of serious, and then you got the normal mixture of high school. They leave. This kid walks up to me afterwards. I don't even know if I've met him before, and he, he says to me, I don't remember all that he said, but basically he said, this really is uh, making me think a lot about where I am with the Lord. And he, he's like emotional. Days later, he's talking to you about it and says something's yeah. been really happening. And he continued all year. All year he would stay after class just periodically and say, I, I'm changed. I'm different. He would share it in class. He was bold with it. I... As far as I can tell, I think God regenerated him either that day or right around that time in a way that he's a changed man, and he continued to testify with that, Yes, about that. Th th that is just moving and incredible to, e to hear. But he here's the application of this text. The Spirit blows where it wishes. Look at verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, that, that word so there is sort of like, it's same use in Matthew 5 when Jesus says, if they persecute you, don't be ashamed, for so they persecuted the prophets before you. The word so there doesn't mean therefore, like it sometimes does. There it means in the same way. You were, if you're persecuted, so they persecuted the prophets. In the same way they persecuted the prophets. Now, look at verse 8. One more time, I'll read it. The wind or the Spirit blows where he or it, depending on how you see that, wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes, in the same way is everyone who is born of the Spirit. 
That's a strange answer. But I think the point is this. That day in class, in Bible class, most of the ninth graders were listening. Some were not. But this one student was moved deeply and perhaps soon after led to faith in Christ. The Spirit blows where He wishes. You hear His sound. You can't tell where He's coming from or where He's going, and that's how you get born again. It could have been that everyone in the room was deeply moved by what I was saying. I, that's never happened before in my life. That is 100%. I mean, can you imagine 25 high school students, all of them being moved to tears by the gospel at the same time? That would be the great awakening. <laughs> George Whitfield would they have to be there. Whitfield, yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. That does not happen, okay? That's a, that does not happen. But what, what, what often happens is somebody somewhere in the room is being moved or is being challenged or is being affected by what's said. What is that? That's the spirit blowing where he wishes. Now, people always talk about free will as the, you know, the be-all, end-all for new birth, and I agree with you. Free will is the be-all, end-all, but it's not your free will. It's His free will. It's the free will of the wind. I think that's Piper actually named his sermon on this, The Free Will of the Wind, which is just a great title. So yes, there is free will involved in conversion. It's God's free will. The Spirit blows wherever He wishes. It's His choice. And suddenly, this random ninth grader is weeping in the corner of my room and led to Christ when the other 24 of them or 19 of them or whatever leave that day, perhaps not changed deeply. That day, who knows for sure? But, but what you see is you can't see the wind, but you can see the effects of the wind. You go outside, and you can't see the wind at all, but you can see the, you know if it's windy, because the tree branches are moving, the, the grass is moving, or the bushes are moving. you can feel it on your… You can feel it on your face. And in that room, this kid comes up to me weeping, the wind is blowing on him. It's inexplicable. It wasn't that he came that day saying, I'm going to really, you know, I'm going to get serious about the Lord. It just, the Spirit began blowing on him, and there was an effect that was visible for me to see in front of me, and some of the other students would maybe not count that was the day that something dramatic happened in, in their life. That's great, Papa. Uh, we're going to spend some time on 302 on this very issue, uh, top of 302. Never, nevertheless, we don't always know exactly when this instantaneous change takes place. So we don't want to, this is not a cookie cutter mm -hmm. event. In fact, that's what Jesus was telling Nicodemus. It's, it's, it's up to God, and, the, and, and, as for, and he's using the wind there as an example. Um, he says the change will become evident over time in patterns and behaviors and desires that are pleasing to God. So uh, if we, there's 25 or 30 people probably in this room, and if we ask each of you for your testimonies, uh, there would probably be 25 or 30 different testimonies, mm -hmm. which is a beautiful picture of how the Spirit of God works in our hearts to change us and, and renew us. Yeah, if, but, but it's not predictable. Right, it's not cookie cutter kind of no. way. It's right, good. And if someone says, oh, wait a second here, this is uh, different than what John 3.16 in the same context here is saying, how would you respond to that then, I was Mark? just thinking about that. Let me just read further here as we only have a few more minutes. Verse 9, Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? This is why we don't think Nicodemus is clearly a believer. Verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment 
the light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. If we put John 3.16 in its context, we, we want to put all the verses, we want to believe all the verses of John 3, right? Not just a misunderstood version of one verse. So put all the verses together. Here's what you get. Ready? Everyone in their natural state, when they hear the truth and the light of God's righteousness, all of us without exception want in our own self to run away from the light like cockroaches running away from the light, like, like, you know, like, like rats running away from the light when you turn the basement light on or something. If that's your basement, you probably should go get that worked on. But um, you, you turn the light on and these things run away. Why? Because they hate the light. They don't want to come to the light. They, of their own, free, we're talking about free will. This is enslaved will. We're so enslaved to the love of our sin that when righteousness and holiness comes to us, we choose every time to go the other way. Change the subject. I don't want to talk about this right now. This is not comfortable. This is not what I want to talk about. And we move away in our heart. So John 3.16 comes in and says, Anybody on earth who will turn from their sin and trust in Jesus will be saved. And that's 100% true. And not one of us is going to do it until the wind starts to blow. Not one of us left to ourselves is going to do that because we love our deeds of evil and we don't want to come to the light because we love darkness. And so what makes someone who loves darkness choose freely to come to the light? The answer is God's supernatural sovereign grace and wind of His Spirit blows on you and suddenly you feel the weight of sin and it starts to bother you. You start feeling the beauty of holiness. It starts to intrigue you. You start seeing the glory of Jesus. It starts to move you. All of a sudden, darkness is not looking attractive. Light looks beautiful. And of everything inside of you says, I'll give up anything to follow him. I'll trade anything for more of Jesus. And, and that's what happened. The Spirit opened your eyes, and you turned from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. So John 3.16 is absolutely beautiful, glorious, and true. But we must read it in the context of the whole chapter of John 3, which it often is not read yeah, that way. That's right. Papa. You know, this is, um, I, I have this um, excerpt from um, uh, Burkhoff here on positive characteristics of regeneration. He says it, 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 it consists in the implanting of the principle of the new spiritual life in man and a radical change of the governing disposition of the soul which is under the influence of the Holy Spirit and gives birth to a life that moves in a, Godward, a godly direction. So it's, it's, it's not just your uh, spirit or soul that comes alive. I mean, it's the whole man, whole person comes to life. He says the instantaneous change. Now, you may not realize it mm-hmm. instantaneously, That's but right. it's an instantaneous change. Suddenly, your disposition changes mm-hmm. to, uh, from the things that you used to enjoy doing to to a life that's uh, godly. And, Can I interrupt that sure. real quick? Just, Jonathan Edwards had this great illustration. Some people's conversion is like Paul on the Damascus Road. It, you know exactly the time and place. You, you know where you were sitting, where you were walking, where you were driving. You could mark it out. You, I was converted right then and there. I'm not like that. I don't even know where I was I was in the state of Georgia. I don't know where I was. It was the summer of 2003. I was on vacation. I don't know where exactly I was even when it happened. I I can point to about a one and a half month period of time. Somewhere in there between mid-June and the end of July of 2003, I was definitely, I believe by God's grace, converted. I was not a Christian going into that summer. I am sure of that. And I was by God's grace a Christian coming out of that summer. I don't know when and where exactly it happened. But the point here is some people, it is like Paul on the Damascus Road. Other people, Edward said, it's like a sunrise on a cloudy morning. That's beautiful. 
a little ray of light comes through and gets covered back by the clouds and another ray. And then a little later, the sun gets a little brighter. And then over time, you see the sun has risen. You don't know the exact moment it came over the horizon, but there is clear now the sun has risen. And so my conversion was more like that. Others is just right. You know exactly the time and the place. Well, and, and so again, back to the cookie cutter thing. I mean, I, I love it that God does this and he does it at, at all ages. A small child uh, can be aware of a change. Yes. Uh, differently, perhaps, than uh, certainly than an adult. Uh, if, if you're a young adult, you, you might be aware of that change. But uh, someone that's hardened somewhat with life and comes to Christ later on, you, you, it's going to be, you're going to be more aware of the radicalness mm -hmm. of that change because suddenly you're not that person anymore. Yep. And that, that's a strange perception itself. <laughs> <laughs> you were, you were, a, uh, I, what, 30s? Yeah, in my 30s, yeah. And you were five. Probably. And I was 16, so we, we're all over the place <laughs> on this thing. At least it happened. That's, the, that's yeah, the point. That's great. Regeneration is a secret act of God in which he imparts new spiritual life to us. Any final thoughts before we pray? It's, it's something that we should thank God and praise him every moment. It's, yeah. it's, it's you know, we didn't have any... Um, um, role in our election, our predestination, and certainly not in our regeneration. So it's just, we need to thank him and worship him and praise him for that. Thanks for mentioning that, Papa, because mm -hmm. it certainly should produce a deep humility yes. uh, in us. Would you pray? Because this is not me. That's right. And, uh, and it's very humbling. And so that, if we struggle, and all of us do, with just um, a pride or an arrogance about you know, what we know now, maybe that we used to not know, um, we need to kind of check that and say, no, this was the Lord's work and it must humble us. Would you pray that? Yes, sir. Thank you. Father God, um, uh, from First Peter 1, 3, on these same uh, verses, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Father, is, is even, even reading those words, it's, it's, it's exciting, it's stimulating, it's, it, it's refreshing, and it, it's, uh, once again, it, it, it's you. Uh, you. Your will uh, be done in, in my life and in our lives and lives of the people in this room today that uh, regeneration is of you uh, from start to finish and, and the why uh, we don't know but uh, it's for your glory and praise and I, I, and I would uh, ask that each of us that have experienced this work this massive work of Christ in our life would, would be forever grateful, forever prayerful, forever thankful and preach the gospel wherever we go. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good. Come back next week. Um, conversion. Conversion. And uh, these are kind of walking through things that some happen simultaneously. Um, it'll be a great study. Thank you.